What I'd like to talk about this morning is forgiveness. This would seem to be a really good Torah portion to talk about forgiveness because you have the meeting of Jacob and Esau. However, the circumstances are somewhat ambiguous and it isn't really clear from the story that you actually have forgiveness going on with Jacob and Esau. And I'm not going to go through the reasons for that. But it seems that by the end of Isaac's life, the two of them have reconciled. They can come together in peace and and bury their father. Forgiveness is really hard. And in fact, unforgiveness is perhaps the most destructive emotion there is. They write entire operas about unforgiveness where people plot revenge and all that kind of stuff. So it's really a nasty subject, and it's a source of a lot of misery. Yeshua himself commands forgiveness. And I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture. The obvious one, of course, is the Lord's Prayer, but that's not the one I'm going to quote. Mark 11.25. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And then Luke 6, 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So, from the perspective of someone who has been injured, forgiveness is extremely important because what you're doing is you're establishing the standard by which God is going to judge you. But I will tell you, it's really hard. I can't tell you the number of people that I have prayed with and it always, yeah, but. Yeah, I know that, but. But you don't understand. You don't understand what he did to me. You don't understand. He's not sorry. Well, but what about, what about, what about? Okay, and I get these what abouts all the time. Every time I talk about forgiveness, there's always this, well, what about? And what you then have is my special circumstance somehow obviates the need for me to forgive or gives me an excuse why I can't forgive. Very common. It happens to all of us. I told this before, but I came from a family that was really, really good at not forgiving. I know my mother and my aunt didn't speak for 20 years. And they lived in the same town. As I say, I come from a family of professional unforgivers. So I am well aware of the phenomenon, and I'm well aware of all the reasons why people think that forgiveness doesn't apply to them. Which is, by the way, one of the reasons why this subject is one that's kind of near and dear to me, because Getting past my upbringing took a long time. I will tell you from here, it's worth it, but it was not easy. I decided to do this maybe Wednesday and was starting to do some research on it. And I came across a video on Aish. And it's by a guy named Dr. Stephen Marmer. And he's a psychiatrist, UCLA, I don't know what vintage. I mean, he's wearing a three-piece suit and you can't tell how old the video is. But his point is the word forgiveness is perhaps trying to cover too much stuff. In other words, you've got on the one hand 
somebody that bumps into you in a store, obviously no ill intent or anything like that, and forgiveness there is really pretty easy. And then you've got, on the other hand, the person that stabs you in the back and betrays you and has ruined your life, and on that end, forgiveness is not so easy. And to use the term forgiveness to cover all of those situations, what he's suggesting is that's perhaps too much freight to put on one word. So what he does is he breaks it up into three concepts. And I, quite frankly, found this very useful. So I will give it to you, and if you find it useful, by all means, take it. So the first type of forgiveness he talks about is exoneration. And what exoneration does is wipes the slate clean and restores the relationship to a state of innocence. There are circumstances under which that's the appropriate thing to do. So, for example, a genuine accident. My example of somebody bumping into you in the store. No malice there. They weren't aiming at you to bump into you specifically. It's just you happen to get bumped into, and there's an accident there. Obviously no fault. So in that case, what you want is exoneration. Another circumstance where exoneration is appropriate is where the perpetrator is a child whom you love. And at this point, the child hasn't been educated well enough to understand completely what he's done. So you want to restore that relationship to a state of innocence. Another example is that whoever did it doesn't really understand what he's done. I don't know about you, but I am really good at saying things the wrong way. I can remember one time when I was still in the Army, I said something to my boss, and he looked at me, and, and I said, whoa, sorry, sir, that didn't come out right. And it didn't. The way I had said it, it was like I'd slapped him in the face, and I could see he was getting mad and all that kind of stuff, and that was certainly not my intent. I just said it wrong. And that happens to all of us. So in those circumstances, exoneration is an appropriate word. The, the next circumstances, the one who did it recognized that he has done something that's hurt you. He's truly sorry. And he takes full responsibility without excuses. He asks for forgiveness. He asks in such a sincere way that you are reasonably certain that this isn't going to happen again. So those are sort of the circumstances under which exoneration is the right word. Accident, a child, or somebody who doesn't realize what he's done, is just a mistake. And when there is a mistake, the one who did it takes full responsibility and asks for forgiveness. Under those circumstances, you can restore the relationship to a state of innocence. And in fact, under those circumstances, if you cannot forgive, the problem is with you now. You're the one that has the problem at that point if you can't forgive under those circumstances. Now, the second word that he uses after exoneration is forbearance. And in forbearance, what you're trying to do is get to a state where you can continue to have a relationship with another imperfect human being. The things that might lead you to forbear is where you get a partial apology 
or you get an apology that sort of reflects some of it back on you. Yeah, I know I did that, but you, you're partially responsible for this. Anybody ever heard that? Or the apology just doesn't seem sincere. Yeah, sorry. Something like that. So under those circumstances, if you want to continue the relationship, what you need to do is forbear. You need to say, that's as good as we're going to get under those circumstances. I'm not, I'm not saying have this conversation necessarily, but you are someone with which I am going to continue to have a relationship. Therefore, I am going to forbear. And what you have to do there is you have to give up your fantasies of revenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you knew there was going to be a catch, right? <laughs> You have got to give up your fantasies of revenge, and you have got to forget the offense. But you are entitled to remain a bit wary in the relationship. The slate has not been wiped clean at this point. You have simply decided we are going to continue to live together. I am not going to plot murder in my heart, and I'm going to give up this grudge. Now, with time and good behavior, forbearance may elevate itself to the level of exoneration. You never really got a satisfactory apology, but it never happens again. Your relationship is healthy and so forth. And at some point, you may be able to say, fine, we're sort of back at the level of exoneration. Maybe not. The idea of forbearance here is there's an imperfect human being who has stepped on my toes and I have decided that I'm going to continue a relationship with that person and I am not going to carry anger, bitterness, or revenge in my heart. I'm just going to give up on that. I'm not going to do it. And then the third level that he talks about is release. In the case of release, the offender may not acknowledge the offense. The offender may not apologize. The offender may not give you any indication that he won't do it again. In fact, in one of the most difficult ones is the offender may be absent or dead. Know lots of people that have anger and grudges against people who are dead. Parents, relatives, that kind of thing. And they just can't release it. And notice the word here is release. And Release doesn't exonerate the offender. Release doesn't require forbearance. In fact, you are not required under release even to continue a relationship with this person. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to get yourself healthy. Because if you're carrying thoughts of murder and revenge and anger and bitterness inside of you, What's happening is this is destroying you and that person is living rent-free inside your head. And that's why the Bible talks about the importance of forgiveness because if you don't forgive, or in this case, release, what happens is it eats you up. And again, to use my own family as an example, my mother died an angry and bitter woman. Never forgave my father. And my father didn't forgive her either. But they were angry and bitter and consumed. And 
never let it go. And it affected their lives for the remainder of the time. So my mother, having all this bitterness and anger inside of herself, wasn't hurting my father anymore, wasn't hurting her sister anymore. It was now entirely her own party. And so that's why God says that you need to forgive. And as I say, I very much like this taxonomy that this psychiatrist has come up with to break forgiveness up into manageable chunks. Because when you just say forgive, boy, in some cases, that is just too big. And I'm not sure I can forgive globally, but what I can do is I can release this. I can get it out of my life. And I don't have to deal with you anymore necessarily unless I want to. So it is not the case that I've got to go back and have you step on my toes again. That isn't required. What I have to do is I have to get it out and get it gone. Now, barriers to forgiveness. As I've said, forgiveness is really hard. And in fact, one of the things I was looking at, I think on Aleph Beta, was talking about repentance and forgiveness. And the two concepts are related, obviously, but they're different. You can tell because they're spelled differently. Repentance is really much easier than forgiveness. Because I can look at myself and say, you know, that was really wrong, and yeah, I don't want to go apologize, but I will. And that's really much easier than forgiving. Several reasons. The biggest one, I think, is pride. How dare you treat me, who is the most important thing in the universe, like that? How dare you do something like that to the most important person in the universe? Me. That's just pride. And we all struggle with it. I certainly do. But understand that pride will keep you from forgiving. Because you can't get past the idea that somebody would dare do something like that to this really important person. Fear. There's always the fear, if you forgive, that you give license to the perpetrator to do it again. If I forgive you for X, Y, or Z, there's this fear that, gee, if I've forgiven this horrible thing that he did to the most important person in the universe, he's going to think that the most important person in the universe isn't that important, and he can do it again. I sort of give him permission to do it again if I forgive him. And that's fear. And by the way, that fear is not unfounded. It's not unfounded. Because people do react that way. In other words, if you say, I forgive you, then it's sort of in their mind, okay, that one's erased. It may not be erased in your mind, but in their mind it's erased. And we now have a new situation, and if they did it once, they'll do it again. So it's really better and safer if I keep this person now at a distance and keep reminding them, you can't treat me that way. I'll just keep them out there and I'll keep reminding them of what the offense was so that they know that if they treat me that way again, it's going to be World War III. Whereas if I forgive them, that means I've got to let it go. And letting it go may give them permission to do it again. And then the other one that sort of a mixture of fear and pride is if you forgive someone or if you let someone know that you have been hurt, 
what that does is it maps out where the chinks in your armor are. So if your sister says something scummy to you and you turn red and react and, oh, it just is devastating to you, and your sister says, ha, next time we have an argument, there's the place to strike. You know, you've all had brothers and sisters or classmates in school. or you know, the, you know the phenomenon I'm talking about. So there's this temptation, if you will, to say, eh, didn't hurt. You didn't do anything to me. You never touched me. When inside, in fact, you are hurt. And what you need to do is forgive. But if you do that, you sort of open yourself up to, oh, now he knows where my buttons are. Like I say, this is difficult. This is not an easy thing. Otherwise, God wouldn't talk so much about it. All right, so let's uh, talk about why it's important. Now, I've, I've talked about sort of the mental health aspect of why it's important. In other words, if you don't forgive and you keep this stuff inside of you, one of my favorite phrases that I coined years ago is, bitterness is a poison that you take hoping it will kill somebody else. It really is. And part of the problem is our sense of justice. He really, really messed with this most important person in the universe, and he has not suffered nearly enough. The punishment is not appropriate at this point. That sucker has got to be further punished in order to make the scales balance. So a sense of justice will keep you from forgiving. Now, one of the things that we've said, especially around Yom Kippur, is the idea that repentance is built into the structure of the universe. And so is forgiveness. Now, I'm going to slip into engineering speak. Some of you can tune out if you like. Developing humans is a really hard problem. And in engineering, there's sort of two ways to solve a problem. More than two, but two that I want to talk about. One is what's called a simultaneous solution, where you write down all of the conditions and you solve them all at once. That's really, really good for simple problems. But for really, really complex problems, you can't write down all the conditions. You just don't know them all. So it's not even possible to assemble all the necessary equations, much less solve them. So the only way you can solve a problem like that is by what's called iteration which means you try a solution, you see how it works, you make adjustments, and then you try another solution, and you sort of work your way toward a solution. People learn by iteration, which means God expects you to mess up. It is not the case that anybody comes issued from his mommy's womb perfect. It doesn't happen. And the way we learn is we try something, we get our fingers burned, say, hmm, that's maybe not such a good idea, especially for fast learners. Slow learners, it takes a couple of scars before you get there. But the whole idea is you try something and you discover, wow, that doesn't work, or wow, that worked pretty well. And then based on that, you learn and you move from there. The only way that kind of a solution works is if there is the opportunity for repentance and forgiveness. In other words, the first time your toddler throws a tantrum, if you say, well, over for you, and you cut his head off, you know, we'll try again for another two-year-old, 
you know, you can go through a lot of two-year-olds and you're never going to get one that's going to make it to three. It just isn't going to happen. So the only way that process of learning works is if there is the opportunity for repentance and forgiveness. So they are built into the structure of the universe. And what God is saying in his word is the standard that you establish is the standard I'm going to use with you. Now, I have forgiven you. I have set up a mechanism, the blood of my son, that allows me to forgive you. And what I want you to do is learn to be like me, God, not me, John. Learn to be like me and learn to forgive. Learn to take these terrible, terrible things that people do with and to you and elevate it to the level that you can forgive. And again, the, the taxonomy I have here is exoneration, forbearance, and then release. And the minimum standard is release. You've got to be able to give it up. Now, you may decide that the person you're involved with is so toxic that you don't want to be involved with them anymore, and that's okay, as long as you're not doing it to punish them. Anybody hear what I just said? As long as you're not sticking your hands in your pocket and sticking your lip out and going off into a corner and saying, I'm going to hurt you by withdrawing my fellowship. That's not forbearance. That's revenge. That's different from saying, I am releasing this. I am not going to be bitter anymore. I am done with this. But also, you're too dangerous. And I just assume not spend any time with you. That, everybody understand the difference between those two concepts? Because they look the same. On the outside, they look like you have withdrawn, which you have. But your reasons internally are very important. Now, final question, and I'll, and I'll close. How do you measure success in forgiveness? How do you know when you have been successful in forgiving someone? I, I can come up with things from the third grade that when they cross my mind, my stomach goes, and you all know what I mean. So when you can remember that incident and your stomach doesn't go, then you know that you are successful in your forgiveness. And when you can get to the point where it doesn't hurt anymore when you think about it, then your forgiveness is successful. It's important to be able to recognize when you have not forgiven because you know then you have some work to do in that area. There's still something there that you need to work on. And I'll give you an exercise that works very well, especially when the problem is fresh. And depending on what you've decided to do, whether you've decided to exonerate or forbear or release, and, and that's sort of an intellectual decision. Now, once you've made that intellectual decision, how you want to proceed, getting there is the hard part. And one of the things I will suggest is when this situation comes up in your mind and you feel yourself starting to stew, go find some place where there's running water, a sink works just fine, wash your hands and say, I release that person. Just wash your hands. Now, for a while you may need hand lotion because you're washing your hands so often. But what you'll find is that the frequency of that becomes less and less and less. But the act of simply doing something, 
know, washing your hands of the situation. That physical act will help your spiritual resolution. So, God says to forgive. And the reason he says to forgive is for your good. Not for the good of that so-and-so that has injured you. It's for your good. Please consider becoming a sponsor. You can sponsor us for as little as a dollar a month. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.